morning, church. We are Gateway Church. We are a growing family after God's heart. This is it. This is my last message on our study. And Joseph, can you believe it? You're going, no, really? I thought you said that last week. Today is the day, all right? And it was and is a story about a messed up, screwed up, dysfunctional family. And right now, don't you feel, you don't feel so bad about your own family. What if I were to say, I know about your family? I know about your family. Panic is setting in right now in your heart because when you're talking about family, it's always personal, right? Go straight to your heart. What do you know? How'd you find out? Who told you about that? What will you think of me now that you know about us? We're all pretty good pretenders. I took drama class in high school to get out of speech class. <laughs> right. <laughs> I don't know what I was thinking. Because when you go to drama class, you have to speak and act. And I couldn't do any. I wasn't a very good actor. I'm just way too self-conscious. My movements were wooden. I looked like an 85-year-old tin man. But in real life, not one kid in my class knew that I was living in a messed up family. I mean, I could have won an Oscar, an Emmy. I don't even know what the difference is between the two. I was a good actor. Not one kid knew. The dysfunction in my own family. You might be a pretty good in drama yourself. I do know about your family. Do you want me to tell everybody? Here's what I know. It's the very same thing I know about my own family. That you're dealing with some kind of pain in the life of your family. Let's narrow the pain down. I mean, we could spend all day talking about pain. Let's just talk about one kind of pain that's going on in your family right now, today, this week, this month. Relational pain. It's going on somewhere in your family. Somebody's hurting. If you only knew the pain that I carry in my heart because of the brokenness of my family. Some of you are saying that. If you only knew. Well, I do know. Because my family's messed up, screwed up, dysfunctional. And Deanna is the one that told me that. No. <laughs> At some level in the family tree, somewhere in that tree, there's relational pain. And you may not be feeling as good as you look on the outside. 
You're a pretty good pretender. That's why I like Joseph. Maybe misery really does love company. I feel hopeful about my own situation after reading about Joseph's, especially at the end of his, the book. Here we go. The very end, chapter 20. Verse 15, when Joseph's brother brothers saw that their father was dead, Jacob, they said, what if Joseph holds a grudge against us and pays us pages? He's a pretender too. He's going to get even with us now. He wasn't pretending. The forgiveness was real. What if he pays back us for all the wrongs we did to him? So they sent word to Joseph saying, your father left these instructions before he died. They lied. This is what you are to say to Joseph. I ask you to forgive your brothers the sins and wrongs they committed in treating you so badly. Now please forgive the sins of the servants of the God of your father. When their message came to him, Joseph wept. This is the third time in the story. He probably wept many more times. But in the narrative itself, this is the third time. His heart's broken because he really did love his brothers and he really did forgive them from his heart. His brothers came, verse 18, threw themselves down before him. We are your slaves, they said. But Joseph treated them not like slaves. He gave them the best of the land. That's in the story too. That's not changing. But Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me. Underline this in your Bible. But God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So then don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. And he reassured them and he spoke kindly to them. Joseph is talking to his brothers, his family. He's weeping. He said essentially the same thing in chapter 45, verse 4 and 8. Then this is the second time he weeps. He discloses himself to his brothers. Joseph said to his brothers, come close to me. When they had done so, he said, I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save the lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now, there's been famine in the land, and for the next five years, there will be no plowing and reaping, but God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on the earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. Verse 8, when you don't understand why certain things have happened to you in your life. And the pain that you are experiencing as a result of that, somewhere in your family, they're experiencing that same kind of pain. They hurt for you. They grieve with you. And when mom or dad 
puts their arms around you and they speak these words into your heart and you think, I don't want to hear this. Somehow receive that word. Just open up maybe a little bit of your heart and receive the word. So then, verse 8, it was not you who sent me here, brothers, but God. He made me father to Pharaoh, lord of his entire household and, re- and ruler of all Egypt. We spent 13 years in prison before he got to that place, didn't he? When you read these verses, you can see that Joseph understood what God's purposes were and how the specific assignment fit into them, but he didn't always know that. I don't always know what's going on and why and how it come. Joseph was telling his brothers, in essence, you don't seem to understand it was God in the grand scheme of things who sent me here. I don't want you to be angry with yourselves. I don't want you to be upset or grieved or sad. I want you to forgive yourselves just as I have forgiven you. God has a purpose for my life. And it was in order to fulfill his purpose that he sent me here to Egypt. He had to get me here somehow. You mistreated me. You threw me into that pit. You intended to harm me. But you couldn't harm me outside of God's will. See, God can turn. He can turn. He can turn your calamity into something beautiful. He's always about fulfilling his purposes in the earth. And he's going to use you. In whatever state you are in right now in your life, he's going to use you. Don't wait around. You may be in a prison right now. How often do you think Joseph had to contend with being offended by God? Year five, year six, year seven. God, what are you doing? Why is this happening to me? I don't understand, but he fought the good fight. That's what Jenna's doing right now. Right? We've had our conversations. Jenna's had many conversations with the body of Christ right here in the body. We don't understand why her husband, his kidney is, is failing. He needs a kidney. She's waited many months. And tomorrow's the, the day, and we're praying for her. And God's going to use this situation to fulfill his purposes. But that's hard. So here's what I want to do in in conclusion of this story. I want to encourage you. No matter what season of life you're in, God has a purpose for you. 
So I'm going to close out this series by giving you three concluding statements. About God's purposes. Fulfilling his purposes in your life. Number one. Believe that God has a purpose for you. Believe you have a purpose. In order to discover the purpose that God has for your life, you got to start right here. You got to first believe that you have one. God created you for a unique purpose. And you have to simply accept that by faith. Every single person here. No one is exempted. Gives me hope. Even in the darkest seasons of my life, I remember, you know, you go through seasons. I'm, I'm in my 50s now. And I, I look back. And even in those darkest seasons of my life, I saw how God used me. Because he has a purpose for me. God is purposeful, not purposeless. He's given you your, your mind, your ability, talent, and giftings to do something special for God. He's designed you for a special role. Listen, you will never be truly happy until you discover what that role is. He has his own assignments for you. Apostle Paul got that. This idea about assignments is intriguing for me. In various seasons of our lives, what assignment does he have for me? Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 3, you might want to write this down, verses 5 through 8, what after all is Apollos and what is Paul? He says, we're only servants through whom you came to believe as the Lord has assigned to each his task. I planted the seed. Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. 2 Corinthians 10, 13. We, however, will not boast beyond proper limits, but will confine our boasting to the sphere of service God himself, listen, has assigned to us. We have these assignments from God to serve his purposes in the earth. Whether Joseph was in prison or in the palace, he decided, he decided I'm going to be used by God. Second thing. Understand 
that God is in control. Understand that. If you truly believe this, and it's more than just a cliche, it will serve as an anchor for understanding your purpose. If you don't believe this, I can guarantee something's going to happen in your life. You're going to become pessimistic in your outlook on life. You will become one of the biggest critics in the church. Nitpicking. Everybody's head's down now. You're not looking. I'm not looking at anybody. I'm looking at all of us now. All feeding the chickens everywhere, scattering the seed here. Not locking in. I'm looking in the mirror. Because if I don't believe I got a purpose, then what's, what is my reason for living? If I believe that God's got a purpose for me, I'm going to be asking God, what assignment now in this season of my life do you have for me that fulfills the ultimate purpose that you had for my life, like Joseph. He didn't just wait till God sprung him out of prison and said, finally I've arrived. I've found my, my purpose in life. I mean, these guys come. He has an aha moment. He remembers that dream. Remember that dream I had as a kid? First time he sees him, he weeps there. But when they bow down to him, God reminds him by the Spirit, remember the dream. It's all part of the plan. He didn't wait, though. He served God in the darkest time of his life when he didn't understand what was going on. He knew that God was ultimately in charge. God sent me ahead of you, he said. Genesis 45, 7 to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So then it was not you who sent me here, but God. I don't know how he could say that. I mean, you have to be walking by the Spirit to actually look at your brothers and say, every wrong act that you committed against me, God used for his purposes. And so this is it. This is the last statement. Do you want to fulfill God's purpose in your life? Do you want him to do that? Because you got, I mean, you got these two down. I mean, in terms of your mind, right? It's like, well, you haven't. I get that, Pastor Paul. Believe that God has a purpose. Understand that God is in control. Got it. I need an attitude adjustment somewhere here. This is the big one as we close her up. Because if you don't do this, you're going to serve yourself.
discover your gift. And use it. Don't wait to serve God until everything is perfect in your life. You'll never serve him. I've got a friend, just a new friend of mine. He's just, I just, he's a great friend. He's becoming a great friend of mine. And I, I haven't even known him for six months. He got saved recently. And then he comes to me. I just love when this happens. It's like nobody told him, hey, you should or you ought to. How come you're not? If someone has to give you that message, we should go back to when we first got saved and loved Jesus so much that we couldn't wait to serve him. I don't want anyone coming to me, Pastor Paul, you know, you should, you ought to. Yeah, I get involved in ministry. I'm talking to him and he says, man, I've been receiving so much from God and from other people in the church. He started to name off the ministries that he's receiving from. Acts 29, Don's teaching about truth. I said, well, let's get together. Let's talk about this. And I was thinking, okay, I wonder what ministry this young man should get involved in. Didn't quite know how to go about it, but we were meeting out in the back there, and the Holy Spirit, this is how I think the Holy Spirit works for me. This is the way it works. It's like, read Romans 12, 4 through 8. It's about gifts. You know what? I'm not going to read it right now because the, the, the copier jammed and I don't have the font that big. But I'm going to turn it over like this. Romans 12, 4 through 8. You can read it when you get home. But in it are the seven motivational gifts. And I believe that you, if you're a believer, you have one of these, at least one. And I just read this scripture, which talks about these seven motivational gifts, all right? Prophesying, serving, teaching, exhorting, giving, leading, showing mercy. Here's my campfire. So it relates to my understanding of spiritual gifts. I call these the motivational gifts. I, I studied that. I like that designation because in your heart, there's something stirring. There's a gift that God's given to you and it motivates you to get involved in a service according to your gift. So you have one of these gifts. I gave this as an assignment. Take this scripture home, 
read it, pray about it, come back, we'll talk about what your gift is. He said, I know what my gift is. It is this one. I said, wow, really? You know already after four months? I mean, I got people in the church who've been walking with the Lord for 15 years, and if you were to ask them, what, you, what is your spiritual gift? They would scratch their head and go, oh, I haven't studied that yet. I said, well, we're going to talk to Pastor Joel, and we're going to get you involved in the ministry, get you started. Joseph knew his gift. It was leadership, and he led from the time he was in prison until he, he was in charge, the, the second most powerful man in all the earth. So here's what I want you to do as we wrap this up. I want you to circle. In your mind, I want you to circle which gift you believe God has given you. you. Say, well, how does that work? Well, for instance, let's just say someone lost their job in the body here. How, how do you know which gift? This is just one small little example. How do you know which gift you have? Well, if you have the gift of prophesying, you, you want to get together with this person, sit down with them. Hear what's going on in their life and begin to pray for them. And as you pray, the Lord may give you a word. 1 Corinthians 12, a word of knowledge, a word of wisdom, a prophetic word of some kind. And you prophesy. It's like counselors kind of have this gift. They see things that maybe I don't see in my own life. They help draw some things out. Maybe you're, you have the gift of serving. What would you do in that context? Well, you would, you would go over to their house and shovel their, their driveway or the walks. You'd find out what need this person has. How about teaching? Well, be careful now. You'd go and start to give them seven principles about. <laughs> but it'd be good. Exhorting. What would, a, what would a person with the gift of exhorting have to share with someone who just lost their job? Will this person come alongside them and say, hey, God's got something even better for you. I'm praying. We're going to see this through. It's like, oh, man, thank you. Giving. You get a practical need and say, okay, you need groceries this week? I'm on it. Leading. Boy, isn't it great to have leaders in my life? I just think of some of those leaders as just if I didn't, if they weren't in my life, it'd be like I'd be lost. And they're humble about it. How about showing mercy? Just empathizing. Shoulder to cry on, maybe. Or just talk to. Okay, here's what we're going to do as we end. In your mind, right now. I thought, you know, I'm going to let you go home and think about it and pray. No. Because if I do that, you probably won't do it. 
circle in your mind which motivational gift you have. Is it prophesying? You're going, oh, well, I don't know what that is, but I know God, God gives me things, okay? It's good enough for me. Maybe you say, oh, I'm circling that one. How about serving? Do you have that? I'm going to go out on a limb. This is the only one I'm going to do this for, right? Who here believes I have the spiritual motivational gift of serving? Just quick hand. See, look around now. Wow. I'm just taking, Deanna, take notes, all right? <laughs> Make sure you got all, because I got a driveway that... It got out of hand. Anybody get a driveway like that where you didn't snowplow it right away? Oh, man. And I got a snowblower. I have no excuses. Teaching. I got that gift, you would say, maybe. How about exhorting? Don't leave without circling one in your mind. Giving. Leading, showing mercy. When I look around here, here's what I know. In this auditorium, we have the bases covered, don't we? Because somebody has circled. Every, I mean, somebody here has circled one of these gifts. Can you imagine? No. A body where everyone's operating in their spiritual gift. Can you imagine a family? If everyone's operating in accordance to their spiritual gift, can you imagine in the, the, the marketplace the world would feel the impact the church would have for Christ? And so, before you leave, which one? I had a guy come to me a couple months ago and he said, I remember when you preached on the spiritual gifts. And then you said you were going to ask people randomly while you're out and drinking coffee and just hanging out, what's your motivational gift? And I started doing that. Do you you remember that? That was a few years ago. I'm going to start doing that again. And I want you to do that with each other. You won't talk to me anymore, will you? <laughs> I'm going to be the most lonely preacher here. Because you're going, he's going to ask me. I'm just, real, I'm just going to ask you. What do you think your motivational gift is? And then during the week, here's what I want you to do. I just want you to pray. Am I using that gift? And where am I using it? I didn't know my best friend was going to be here today from Aberdeen, South Dakota. He's here visiting his son, Caleb, who's a part of our church. Kevin Reeder, he, he was and is my best friend. 
And my, he, he's, he's, he's serves up in the Alliance Church in Duluth. And my brother, last week, was so sick with the flu, he couldn't preach. And guess who preaches? Kevin. He, pre- he could all preach me. I'm sure he could. And he's using his gift of teaching when needed, on call. And that's what God wants to do in our lives. I'm going to ask you to stand. I'm going to pray together. Lord, you've given us gifts. Lord, we want to use them for your glory. There's so much joy when we serve you in how you wired us and created us. Do you have one? Do you know your gift? Challenge you too to ask the Holy Spirit. He will reveal that to you, I believe. And I challenge you to use that in Jesus' name. Amen.